Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Evan and Aaron's Are you ready for it? Now, here is Evan and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, July 2nd, 2021. It is uh, the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. We are live this evening. Uh, hopefully, everybody is ready for a happy 4th of July and a happy 245th, if I'm doing the math correctly, uh, birthday to our great nation. Alan, uh, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Aaron. Always a pleasure to be on our show and to be live and in color. Absolutely. Good to be back, too. Uh, last week, I got the uh, great pleasure of traveling up to uh, New England, and I went to a Red Sox and Yankees game at good old Fenway Park. Uh, first experience there. Let me tell you, those Red Sox fans know how to do it up there. That's a great experience. Definitely was on my bucket list of things to see uh, sometime in my lifetime, and me and the wife got a few a few days to go up there and uh, have that adventure. And unfortunately, your Yankees uh, didn't come out uh, with any wins in that series, but uh, that's a whole other story. So uh, tonight we've uh, got a lot of great topics to talk about. Uh, obviously, we're right in the middle of baseball season here. We're right at the halfway point of the season. Uh, the all-star rosters have been announced. Uh, for the most part, the starters, um, some of the reserve players will be announced, I guess, in the next few days here as well. We have a special guest on our program here tonight. Uh, we are very delighted to be joined by the host of On Deck with Tyler Redmond. Of course, Tyler Redmond is on the phone here with us this evening. Tyler, good evening. How are you? Hey guys, how's it going? Doing great. Going great. Going great. Going great. So Tyler, um, who is uh, in Georgia, and he covers a lot of uh, Braves baseball, which uh, that certainly delights me because I'm a big Braves fan, but he covers baseball in general, also covers uh, some college football as well. He is going to help us out here tonight, uh, kind of looking at where baseball is at to this point, at the halfway point of the season. And uh, there's a variety of topics within realm of baseball that we will go into here tonight. Uh, I want to start off, though, uh, if we may here this evening, we're right at the halfway point, um, looking at the landscape of the midway point of the season, which is right around the All-Star break. Are there any things that surprise you, um, you know, here this early, uh, this, rather, this point of the season? Um, I, I'll tell you this. I, I think a big thing that has surprised a lot of people are just the standings in general, because if you take a look at the standings, who would have thought at the beginning of the season where the Twins would be? You know, they're in fourth place in their division. Uh, the Astros are, are leading the AL West, and the Athletics are right there competing with them. The Mets, of all things, of, of all teams, are leading the National League East when everybody thought the Braves were going to run through that division. It's just been a really interesting year, and a lot of faces that have surprised a lot of people. You know, Vladdy Jr. is having just the year of his life so far, and, I, you know, I hope that continues. Uh, the, the Braves have been up and down, as any team can be up and down. And, you know, the Reds have had a, have some interesting faces. Jesse Winker has been a guy that has just caught my attention uh, by a mile. And I think the biggest surprise out of any team has been the Giants, uh, you know, to be leading the NL West. I mean, all the money the Dodgers and the Padres spent, and they can't beat the Giants, who have found the fountain of youth somewhere in San Francisco. It's just been a really interesting year uh, throughout the standings. 
Yeah, I would agree with the Giants. Um, you know, when I looked at that division from top to bottom at the beginning of the season or back in spring training, everybody's going to pick the Dodgers, of course, with all their money. But the Padres have kind of closed that gap a little bit. And then I would even think that maybe Arizona or Colorado would be ahead of the Giants. But they actually sure. at last at la- yeah at last check, I think the Gi- if I'm not mistaken, the Giants have the best record in baseball right now, which is astonishing because for the most part, it's an aging roster and you have a retread manager who didn't really have great success when he was in Philadelphia. So um, you're absolutely right. That, that is a, a big, uh, probably on the, on the side of things that I'm surprised to see in a positive way, that would definitely be at the top of the list. Uh, Alan, what do you have to add to that? Definitely a lot of surprises that I did see in a baseball season. One of the biggest surprises for me is the, the Yankees. The Yankees are nine games out, which is really a shock at this point in the season. And that's, that's disappointing being a Yankee fan. But a lot of what Tyler said is correct. A lot of head scratchers. And definitely the Giants leading the division at this point is, is astonishing. It really is. Yeah, looking at the standings yeah, right the now, they right? are – half a game ahead of the, the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers have won six in a row, and looking at the Giants, they've actually lost four in a row. So they've made up some ground, and as we Braves fans know, you don't want to give the Dodgers an inch because they'll take a mile, as uh, last, uh, <laughs> last October they certainly uh, gave, us, uh, gave us everything we could handle. And probably a series with the Braves never should have been in in the first place, you know, with all the injuries they had last year with Soroka being out and uh, being a shortened season and, a lot of youth on that team they may have never should have been there in the first place but as a lifelong Braves fan and Tyler I'm sure you can probably uh attest to this as well a three games to one lead is a three games to one lead no matter how you dice it so uh hopefully for the Giants sake and for anybody who's a Giants fan if they're trying to win that division hopefully they can turn things around and uh stop the bleeding here before the Dodgers catch up and go too far ahead of them kind of thing so um is there a I know Alan had alluded there to the the Yankees and not Truth be told, if you go back and listen to our show three months ago, I picked the Yankees to represent the AL in the World Series. Um, they are one of the head scratchers for me. Do, do you see them as maybe the biggest surprise on the negative side, or is there another club that you kind of are like, well, maybe it's maybe this team over here? Uh, I think it's got to be the Twins, because you look at that lineup, The name, I mean, and I know it's the Yankees. I know it's Aaron Judge. I know Giancarlo. I mean, all the way down their lineup as well. I think they're probably about even, but the Twins are almost 15 games back. And they got Donaldson, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano. I mean, they got, I mean, almost equivalent. And they they might be sellers at the deadline because they can't put it together. You know, so I think they're a head scratcher, and they're both in the American League in separate divisions. But the Yankees are certainly one. But on the positive side of the American League, I think the Red Sox are kind of a head scratcher because, I mean, if, if you needed any you know proof that Alex Cora matters this year and last year are your best representation because you take a team that won the World Series not so long ago, you take their manager out, they do what they did last year, and they're not even you know a second thought of anyone, and now they're leading the AL East. Yeah, they're right there at the top, and, and you know, looking at the uh, standings uh, up to date right now, they have a three and a half game lead on Tampa, who has just fallen apart here in the last, I don't know, two weeks or so. Boston's won seven straight. Uh, as I mentioned, they swept the Yankees last weekend in uh, three consecutive games. 
Um, it's a tough division. I mean, AL East has been historically in the last 15 years or so, or maybe since 2008, they, it, you know, it's been a, a three-team division. Toronto has snuck in there a couple times, as has Baltimore. And I tell you, Baltimore is a story in and of itself as far as being a bad, bad <laughs> club right now with all the <laughs> – Young, a young team. I mean, look, they, they had a window that it was open for a couple of years and it, it's closed now and they're trying to pry it back open and good luck to them because they've got a long, long ways to go. But um, I, 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 one thing I really have to bring up here and Alan and I are, are I think Tyler, are a considerable amount older than you. So we've seen a little bit of maybe the nineties <laughs> baseball. Fair enough. Fair the, enough. Game is, <laughs> the game has changed so much and it's crazy to see this in the last 20, 25 years in terms of what's considered to be an old player. And I go back and Alan, I know you can attest to this too. Yeah. I mean, I watched even when he was in his mid forties, this is only 15, maybe 18 years ago when, uh, when Julio Franco made a comeback, he was, Hmm. I want to say 45 or 46. If you're 31 or 32 now, you're considered, you're considered agent. I mean, that, that, there's, there's managers that are not that much older than that. You look at uh, Rocco Baldelli or um, there's somebody else who's pretty young in the late 30s, early 40s in there. My point is the game has changed so much in that you get guys that are 29, 30, and that's kind of – you're on the wrong side of the age bracket. It's such a young game nowadays, and you're getting a lot of these players that are coming up in there. You've got Acuna. You look at, as you mentioned uh, – uh, Vlad Jr. Um, you go out to San Diego and look at the guys they have out there, young players. And that's the direction the game is going. It's really become more of the draft. Get these guys as big leagues right away. And, you know, if they become free agents and walk away after that six years, you start over with somebody else who took their place kind of thing. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? This is kind of the new generation that we're seeing, but it has changed so drastically these last uh I don't know, 10 or 12 years. Well, you know, I'll tell you, uh, you know, outside of the Braves, the, the team that, you know, I that I used to really like to watch, I, I kind of, year by year, I kind of pick a team outside of the Braves that I watch just to, out of pure entertainment. And in 2014, it was the Red Sox, uh, David Ortiz, in, in that 2015 final campaign and that kind of thing. Uh, and David Ortiz was, you know, pushing 40, and he had the year of his life. Uh, and, you look around now, I want to say the oldest guy in the Braves clubhouse outside of, well, the only one I can really think of above the age of 33 is Pablo Sandoval. You know, and you might have a relief pitcher in there too, but not very many. And the age gap, I think, is it's really becoming everybody is an athlete in Major League Baseball today. You're not seeing, you know, you go back and you watch 1980 baseball, and, and there's a guy on the mound that, you know, doesn't look like an athlete or – you know, it, it just is what it is. But everybody, with everybody in Major League Baseball right now is an athlete. And when you get past the age of 35, you know, that ability starts to really decline, and it happens sooner for other people. And when you got a guy who's 19, fresh out of high school really, and he's absolutely killing the ball, who, who are you going to invest in as a manager or as a club? You know, I, I'm going to invest in the young guy that – I might be able to convince to sign for 10 years, $100 million named Ronald Acuna. And also I would add to that, you know, when the Braves started their rebuild back in 2014, you know, when they really started that, I thought, well, we're about to have a young crew. 
you know, a, a crew that you know, no one else is going to have this young of a crew. And I was wrong because, I mean, everybody has young players right now. You, you mentioned Vlad Guerrero again. Vlad Guerrero is surrounded by Biggio and Bichette. I mean, it, it's a lot of young guys. And they're young guys that are having any, any, an immediate impact, which is something that I don't think has really ever happened before. I mean, it feels like every time you turn around and you're watching a Major League Baseball, somebody's the youngest to do something that day uh, in history. And it's just a really interesting thing. You mentioned, uh, you know, there's just not that many players past the age of 40 that hang around. Uh, I really think, you know, we're kind of seeing that age out in a way. I hope not because, you know, everybody likes to watch Derek Jeter and, you know, A-Rod and David Ortiz, Chipper Jones, you know, guys like that finish their careers, you know, and perform at the end of their careers. But a lot of guys don't. And I think that's kind of what's happening. Yeah, that's a great point that you have there. And, and you mentioned, Tyler, that you, you know, watch a team outside of the Braves that you kind of gravitate to. Did you grow up a Braves fan, or is that something that just came about because you work with the media and the Braves now? Well, I, I grew up, I still live in Columbus, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to my first Braves game when I was about six, four or five or six, somewhere around that area. And I've been wow. a fan pretty much since day one, so about 1999. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So you got that, right in it, there at the that, end of the end of the streak. Then is that <laughs> right there, man? I never right there, got to okay. see it, but uh, yeah, I was right there. Well, let me ask you this: I know you yeah. cover the Braves uh, quite a bit. Alan, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna just say, you know, that you cover the Braves. How was that experience, you, you being with the Braves? And, you know, we had Chip Carry on here, you know, a couple months back. How was that experience working with the Braves and being in the media? Well, my experience with the Braves is kind of, I'm kind of a one-man shop. You know, I, I run the YouTube channel. I do that kind of thing. But I have no affiliation with the actual Atlanta Braves. I do some things with, with the Stripers. You know, I have some mm-hmm. connections there. And I have connections kind of with some of the players. You know, they, some of them know me, some of the former players especially. But all those connections are made outside of the Braves. Uh, you know, one day if I'm given the opportunity, I'd love to work for them, but uh, we'll, we'll wait on that. But as for right now, it's it, it's been fun, you know. I, I go on my own dime. I, I go watch the games. I cover as much as I can. I give updates as much as I can on YouTube, and I talk about the Braves. And I think the way it really got started was, you know, I started interviewing different players. Uh, Phil Necro. I interviewed Phil Necro a few years ago. And uh, he was just really good to me. Chief Nakahoma, if you're a throwback guy, Chief Nakahoma, uh, who's become a friend of mine, introduced me to, you know, just a, a ton of guys, you know, that played back in the day. And I started interviewing these people. And I started, you know, hearing their stories. And, and then I interviewed Dansby Swanson a couple of years ago when he first came up. And, yeah, and I think over the years, you know, people started wanting to know my opinion so much about everything going on with the team that I just started talking. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. I just started talking and giving my perspective on what I thought. And, uh, you know, people tend to listen. Sometimes I'm right. You know, I hope I'm right more than I'm wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, it's really just me giving my perspective. And, uh, you know, most of the time it's it's pretty right on if I, if I have to say so myself. You've done an outstanding job, uh, Tyler, there with uh, with the YouTube channel. And for those of you who may have joined us a little bit late tonight or you're just kind of tuning in here uh, here this evening, uh, we're talking here tonight with uh, 
the host of On Deck with Tyler Redmond, of course, Tyler Redmond, and terrific job. We're going to post uh, some of your stuff on our Facebook page as well for our listeners to be able to uh, to check into. Uh, terrific how you came about it, and I've watched a lot of the uh, a lot of the content uh, dead on, as you mentioned there. Uh, I liked uh, here recently you had, I want to say this was probably two or three weeks ago, there was a different trade scenarios, which obviously we're getting closer to the trade deadline. And I wanted to get your take on where we are right now, because if you go down the list, and I always look at it this way, the wins and losses don't necessarily matter at this point as far as whether you're a buyer or a seller. It's whether you're within striking distance. I think we could probably check off four or five teams and say they're definitely going to be selling where do you feel like the Braves are? Where do you feel like the Yankees are? Where, where do you feel like some of these contenders that are normally in there, where do you feel like they are as far as uh, buying or selling here in the next few weeks? Well, I think if, if these teams are smart, they're going to be sellers. The Orioles, the Diamondbacks, the Royals, and the Pirates. If they're smart, they will be sellers because they actually have a couple pieces that can get them things, can get them prospects for a potential rebuild, and I think the Braves have a couple opportunities in that. You know, the, the video I shared the other day on the channel where I talked about trade deadlines and trade possibilities for the Braves, I went through and I basically – it was from an article that David O'Brien and Jim Bowden actually – they actually came up with these scenarios. And I basically just told you what I thought about them, told you how, you know, possible they may be. Uh, and, and I you know, I told you straight up if I thought they were a possibility. And I'll tell you right now, off, off the cuff, Cattell Marte, I don't see happening. Unless the Braves can get a deal, I just don't see happening. Trey Mancini is a possibility if the Braves don't have to pay too much for him. And what I mean by that is if we have to give up Drew Waters and Christian Pache, it's a no deal. Yeah, I really think what they need to do is find a package deal and where they can get a relief pitcher or a pitcher of some kind because that's what we need help with potentially an outfielder. I think the biggest priority has got to be pitching because if last night told us anything, it was that our bullpen is shaky. And I, I really think we've we got to get a pitcher, and I really think we, if we can, we've got to get an outfielder either for cheap or an outfielder that, frankly, only has a couple of years left on his contract or it ends this year because there's so many questions surrounding Ozuna and a possible return of him. And we don't really know when that's going to be. I don't want to commit to a three- to four-year deal with an outfielder, uh, not, especially not when we have all the outfield talent down low. Uh, so with that, I, I would say the Pirates are a target. Give me Brian Reynolds, who's probably going to be in the All-Star game this year, and Richard Rodriguez, their closer. And I'll give you a couple of my prospects. Or you can take it up north to the Mariners, Mitch Hanniger and Kendall Graveman. Uh, it, that, that's kind of a, the two packages that I really circled. As as a trade that would actually fix the Braves and what they got going on. Yeah, that's that's some great moves you have there, and it's really insightful. What do you think about what my Yankees can do to maybe boost themselves up trade trade wise? Well, the Yankees are interesting uh, because they they do have so much talent. Uh, it, they really do. I mean, name value alone, the Yankees always look pretty good. I. And they always have money to spend. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. But I, I think that they're all – I mean, there's so much of a contender all the time that it's really hard to say. It, because, you know, usually 
from from my perspective, and Aaron, I'm sure you'll 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 understand where I'm coming from. I usually try to play a little bit of money ball, mm-hmm. especially with the Braves, you know, because frankly we're always broke. It feels like, and I try to sort of find something that that's doable, right? I think the Yankees are unlimited, and I know that sounds you know like a lame answer, but I really think they're unlimited in what they could do because they always. I mean, they're they're the Yankees. They're equivalent to the Dodgers in my eyes and how much money they're going to have to spend. You know, I, I think that ultimately you can always use more pitching. I, I mean, it, it's been interesting. You know, I, I want to say they've had a lot of injuries this year, right? Yeah, yeah. They and it's been an off year for them, which you know we talked about this, uh, Alan. I believe it was two weeks ago. You know, yeah. is Aaron Boone's seat getting any hotter uh, than it was when he came into the season? Now, to kind of piggyback, Tyler, off what you just said there, which is always the case with the Yankees, I believe I read this on MLBTradeRumors.com today. I use that as a good source pretty much every day. Um, Steinbrenner, their owner, I forget uh, which Steinbrenner it is now, said basically that they don't expect to be sellers at the deadline, which that doesn't surprise me. They're within striking distance. But he also said he's not afraid to go past the luxury uh, – luxury tax threshold, which, again... There you go. It's been a long time since <laughs> there, there won a World Series. 2009, I mean, that's only 12 years, but that's a, that's an eternity for the Yankees. And so, Alan, I, I would just say this, if I'm a betting person, and again, I put the Yankees in there as the team that represent the AL, I, I won't be shocked when they go out and pick up a um, couple of big pieces here in the next uh, maybe two or three weeks. I wouldn't be shocked if the next time we have a show. I'll be um, off here in a couple of weeks myself for vacation. By the time I come back from that trip, I would almost be assured that you'll see some different names in that lineup and on that uh, on that roster there. Well, they picked up Tim LaCastro yesterday, right, from the Diamondbacks? The Diamondbacks, yep. It, it wouldn't surprise me. I told you the Diamondbacks are going to be sellers. They're not afraid of going over that luxury tax, which means one thing. They're not afraid to spend money. And I wouldn't yeah. be surprised whatsoever – to see Cattell Marte go to the Yankees. I just I just wouldn't be. I, I think they're they're really willing to risk it all and he could play so many positions. You know, if he was to come to the Braves, he would be an outfielder this year. Right? Yeah. But he can play shortstop. He can play second and it, it, I I'd be surprised if he can't play other things. I mean, he, because he's so versatile and he's a good bat in the lineup, I I just would not be surprised to see the Yankees spend that kind of money. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's just kind of the way they've done things. The Yankees have uh, the last 20-plus years at the deadline. I mean, you go back to, I think it was summer of 2000, uh, they picked up David Justice. Um, obviously, the Alex Rodriguez uh, saga began in 2004. Um, you know, I mean, they, they, they went out in 99, and they picked, up, uh, you know, they picked up Roger Clemens, for crying out loud. So this is a team that's not afraid to make uh, – big-time headlines, and I think the funny thing about this for the Yankees this year, the ironic thing to me, I know a lot of Mets fans, and a lot of them are, are Mets fans that don't really like to admit it unless they're doing well. They're a lot quieter here recently. Let's, let's just put it that way. I think the thing right now is so many people are paying more attention to where the Mets are. It almost seems like maybe I'm missing this somewhere people are giving the Yankees a little bit of a pass. I think that's kind of changing now because the Mets are starting to struggle. So the attention is going back to the Yankees side of things, but something tells me there's something big brewing for them. 
they're going to be just fine. They're going to be right back in there, at least as a wild card contender, uh, before things are all said and done. Well, you know, New York is a lot like Philadelphia uh, in, in terms of the fan bases. The difference is they got two teams, and when <laughs> yeah. one's doing well, you know, it just is what it is. The moment both of them are doing bad, you're going to hear about it. And with the Mets, I'll tell you this. I did a video today uh, talking about last night. I was actually at the game last night for the Freddie Freeman walk-off, uh, the, do- the doink off of Seth Lugo's foot. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a good one. But I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, Mets fans, I've seen it all over social media. I've seen it everywhere. Mets fans are not content with where they are right now. And, you know, I think a lot of that is because they're so reliant on Jacob DeGrom. You know, and Jacob DeGrom has had his fair share of injury scares this year where he only pitched one inning or three innings and had to be taken out. And their their hopes and dreams for a postseason run could be snatched away just like that, you know, if he was to go down. And I, I think the Mets are disappointed in how Lindor has fared this year. He's not putting up the numbers he needs to. Uh, and, and I think, you know, they spent a lot of money on him. And I always say big money contracts are not where I like to live. Uh, I, I think they're a recipe for disaster. Uh, Bryce Harper was kind of the first one that I was like, yeah, that's not going to work out. And so far the Phillies haven't been able to do much. You know, they haven't been able to spend much money elsewhere outside of Bryce Harper. And because of that, they are limited. And I think the Mets and the Lindor deal limited them. Uh, and it just hasn't quite fared out like they thought it was. And uh, I might be wrong. He might have a great second half, and you can shut me up when that happens. But I, I really think that, you know, ultimately, I, I think last night, the fact that the Braves flat out beat Jacob DeGrom, I, I really think that could be a momentum sh- shifter in this division. And the Braves could be firing on all cylinders come August because in August you get Waskari Noah back, you get Travis Darno back, and that that – it's going to be very interesting if they both do come back. No, you got some great points. I, I, <laughs> to your point with the Mets and big contracts, Bobby Bonilla got paid yesterday his, his million dollars. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> you know, that guy's got the best contract in the history of sports. But um, my question to you, Tyler, is, is you mentioned some of the pitchers there. What are your thoughts on this new Major League Baseball rule with sticky substance? I'm really excited about your, your input on that. What are your thoughts on the sticky substance? Uh, we, I think the biggest thing is they got to find a compromise because, I, I mean, watching Max Scherzer get felt up on, you know, after he gets off the mound, it's just a really strange thing to see. Uh, you know, the John Boy breakdown of that was hilarious. But I, I think ultimately they got to figure out something. I, and, you know, it's hard to be mad at the pitchers. I mean, because, look, you give me an inch, I'm going to take a mile. You know, I'm going to take any advantage you can that you're, you're not going to stop me from taking. And that's what's happened for so long. I think ultimately the biggest issue with – I'm not mad at Major League Baseball either, either for cracking down on it. What I am upset with is the manner they did it in. You did it middle of the season. You gave the pitchers no time to prepare. And I think, you know, honestly, if you really had a problem with it, you should have cracked down on it. Major League Baseball, you should have cracked on it, cracked down on it years ago. And Major League Baseball sort of took this in a way to where they were going to try to make the pitchers look like the bad guys, and I don't think it's really gotten to that point. You know, they, they've almost punished the pitchers more than they ever punished the Astros, and it, it's really just it's, – it, it's an interesting saga that's going to continue throughout this whole year, I think. 
if you wanted if you wanted this to not happen, you should have cracked down on it. You should have really enforced your rules. And I, I think what needs to happen is Bob Costa said this the other day on a radio show, the Rich Eisen show, and I agree with him. I, I think you got to find some substance that everybody agrees works and is not aiding the pitcher and spin rate at least to the levels that it was because make no mistake, it's certainly an advantage. It may not be steroids, but it is an advantage. And I think honestly, whether it be sunscreen and rosin, whether it be whatever the substance, whatever you decide it is as a whole universally, make the rule, make it that, and then leave it alone. If you catch a pitcher using something else, then get after him. But until then, I think you got to leave it alone. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say, I, I, and we discussed this, I don't know, two, three weeks ago when this started. I really feel like to, to, to come up with a rule mid-season, especially when you have a new CBA that will go into effect whenever it's negotiated, of course, after this year is over, it seems like that would have been the way to do it. Let's just kick this down the, down the road. Let's let the CBA decide it here in December or January. And that way everybody can have more time to, to find some common ground, as you mentioned there, Tyler, before. I want to go back to something you said there, there a few minutes ago. You, you usually pick a team each year outside of the Braves that you kind of follow closely. Um, we kind of talked here about how the game has gotten so young. And, you know, obviously we're going to have our biases. I know that, uh, you know, if you're a, a fan of the Yankees, you're going to be a fan of John Carlos Stanton or Aaron Judge or fill in the blank with whatever name you want. Obviously, yeah, and you, Tyler, we could go right down the list of the uh, Braves order, Albies or Acuna or Freeman, or you know, just keep filling in the blanks there. I'm interested to know if there's a specific player that you look at and you say, man, I just I love the way this guy plays, or man, that guy has just a great amount of talent. Love to see him in a Braves uniform, of course, but is there a guy out there that you look at on any other organization or any other team that you're like, that guy is just an excellent player? I'll, I'll tell you this, and – Y'all are going to laugh at me because it is a Brave, but I'm going to give you a second one in a second. There's a guy on the Braves that I still don't think gets enough credit. Uh, He's been absolutely harassed by fans over the past few years, and I've had to defend him on multiple occasions. Austin Riley. Austin Mm -hmm. Riley is putting up the best numbers of his career this year. Again, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, and I, I think he's going to become a player that we're going to have for a long time at third base. Uh, I'm not going to say he's going to be the best ever. I'm not going to say he's going to be a Hall of Famer because I don't think we're there yet. What I do think is he's been very solid this year. I think he may make the all-star team. I think he's certainly in the conversation. Not as a starter, obviously, those are already picked. But he might be a late, you know, a guy that we look at late to make the all-star game. But outside of that, you know, in terms of a young player, there's so many. Uh, I really like Tatis, and I know that's such a basic answer, but he's just really good. Uh, at, at shortstop. I mean, you look at what Dansby Swanson was kind of, you know, supposed to be uh, mm-hmm. early on, you know, like what we expected, and that's kind of what Tatis has become in a lot yeah. of ways. Uh, but aside from a basic answer, I'm going to give you Walker Bueller. Uh, I, I just think he's such a throwback player uh, in a lot of ways. He reminds me – he might be the pants, but he reminds me a lot of Oral Hershiser, uh, and, and I think he's just a really interesting pitcher. I think he's – Honestly, Clayton Kershaw's still up there in legend category, but Walker Buehler's, you know, really battling out for the best pitcher on the Dodgers. And I think he's been a real fun one to watch. 
I was also there when Acuna hit the grand slam off of him, so that might be why. But uh, <laughs> yep. he, uh, he's just, he's one I always sort of keep an eye on. No, that's a great pick right there. And, uh, of course, uh, two guys that were actually teammates uh, at Vanderbilt, uh, you just mentioned there, was uh, Sponson and yeah. uh, Walker Bueller. And Vanderbilt, obviously, they just lost in the uh, uh, College World Series here uh, the last two, three days. That's a great baseball program. And they spit them out very quickly there. I mean, you could go down a whole list yeah, of guys that are, are uh, great players that come out of uh, out of Vanderbilt. A name that I want to throw out there to you, and – this kind of goes back to something else you mentioned before. I think there's a misconception in today's game that money seems to fix all these problems. And I could, I could go down a list of some situations where it may, may, may do that, may help you out, but also where it doesn't necessarily help you out. The Mets are a good example the last several years. Phillies are there as well. You spend a lot of money. You've thrown a lot of money at different areas of, you know, whether it's a problem before and you fixed it or whatever you want to call it where now you've basically just loaded yourself up on a contract that's going to be an albatross by the time it all ends. The player that I kind of was kind of hoping to talk about here is Juan Soto. I, that guy, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of his, uh, you know, stand there and admire the shot when he hits it out of the park. But for a guy who's, what is he, 22, 23, I mean, he's very early 20s, the talent that he has and how much better the Nationals were after Bryce Harper left <laughs> is all the proof that I need, in my opinion, to say, look, all that money. And, yeah, Bryce Harper's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he was a cancer to that team. And he's doing the same thing to Philadelphia that he did to, to the Nationals, uh, in my opinion. I'm not saying the Phillies are never going to make the playoffs, but I, I just feel like look at how much better the, the Nationals were after he was out, after he left. Well, you you mentioned money, you know, and when you pay one guy $300 million, over the over a ten year period, it's really hard to do a lot of. You don't have a lot of freedom to do any other things. Yeah. You know, it, it really it really limits you. No matter how much money you have, it it really limits you. And in terms of Bryce Harper, you know, the first video, you just reminded me of something. The first video I ever did, just me talking to the camera, me talking to, you know, basically telling what I think about something, was when Bryce Harper signed that three hundred million dollar deal. And the title <laughs> of that video. You can look it up to this day. I believe it's still out there. The title of that video is Why Bryce Harper Will Ruin the Phillies. Nobody <laughs> believed me at the time, but the math just didn't add up, and it's still that way. But Juan Soto, I mean, I'm looking at his contract right now. Juan Soto's being paid 8.5 mil this year, okay, and he will be for the next three until 2025 where they'll end up paying him, you know, a, a good sum of money. You know, unless he wishes to stay there, he might take a hometown discount at that point, but – you know, those are the types of deals that really help a team and, and let a team be successful. And, of course, that really worked out for the Nationals since that World Series run. But that, those are the kind of deals. That's why Acuna's deal is so good. We're paying him $10 million a year for 10 years. You know, that's a steal. Ozzy Albee, same thing. You know, and, you know, that's why, again, I'll bring him up. You know, I, I mentioned Riley a few minutes ago. It's not just the talent, you know, that we're looking at when we're talking about players. A lot of it is Moneyball. You know, we could have kept Donaldson and paid him through the roof, you know, instead of keeping Austin Riley. And, you know, look what that would have become, you know, based on what the stats became. I I really feel like a lot of people don't take into consideration, you know, young players. That's why we have so many young players in the game. 
is because we, we don't have to pay them near as much. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And, you know, Bryce Harper, look, I don't flip the channel when Bryce Harper's at the plate. I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you that. He's a very <laughs> exciting player. But he costs a lot, and for little to no different stats than, you know, a lot of other right fielders. Yeah. Yeah. You got a great point there on that. You know, and definitely he is a great player. I don't change the channel, too, when he comes up, Bryce Harper. And, you know, being that you do cover the Braves a lot, I definitely got to get your take on this. And, you know, you you follow the Braves to say, you know, we have the Major League Baseball All-Star game coming up. What were your first initial thoughts, Tyler, when they announced Major League Baseball that they were moving the game out of Georgia? Anger and frustration. Wow. Uh, reason being, uh, I, I'll tell you this. I had reservations at a hotel right outside in the Battery in Atlanta. I was planning on going to both events. Uh, we, we, my family was really making preparations and have been for two or three years now. Uh, we, we've really been looking forward to that. So the immediate anger and frustration uh, is an obvious, you know, I think, you know, just for fans in general. You know, imagine, you know, the All-Star game was coming to New York, you know, and, and you just all of a sudden, you know, you lost it. You know, it, it, yeah. that immediate thing. And then I tried, you know, I don't have to get political about it, honestly. I, mm-hmm. I really, the, the politics aside, I don't like the way Major League Baseball handled it, as as I haven't liked the way they've handled a lot of things this year. But my main issue with it is the fact that they did not consult the Atlanta Braves. Because I don't know if, uh, Aaron, I don't know if you remember this, but the Braves released a statement uh, shortly after that. And they were caught off guard. Mm-hmm. And they were surprised. And I, and I think that's unfortunate. I, I think you, you have to communicate with that team because now you make you, – you divide you divide Major League Baseball at that point. you got one team who's now the outsider. You know, oh, those are those guys from Atlanta, you know. And I, and I think that's unfortunate. I, I think you've, you've made – you've angered a fan base. And honestly, I mean, if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty – in Colorado, you know, it, the, the whole argument was, you know, it's, it's the, the minorities are being affected in, in voting, right? But in Colorado, it's frankly, it, there's less minorities there. They have stricter voting laws. And, and, and I really just don't understand the move, if I'm being quite honest with you. I, I, had they moved to L.A., had they moved to New York and really made that point, I'd understand it a little bit more. Uh, but I don't understand the movement to Colorado. Uh, I would also add that I really think they should have just moved it to L.A. because that's where they were already yeah, planning was, on having it. Yeah, it was going to be last year. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense right there. Uh, if you're going to move it, to, to move it to where it was going to have, you know, it was supposed to be there last year. Obviously, COVID, you know, came in and wrecked the plans for that. So move it to L.A. If you're going to move it at all, move it to L.A., um, you know, and go from there. That that would have made more sense. I agree with you 100% there on that. that that's That, that would have been – to me, the, the the wiser move because the one thing that you do, and we're not going to get into the political stuff here, obviously, but the one thing that a lot of people did point out is just what you said there. If you look at the the laws there, they were upset about there in Georgia. Without going into the specifics, as you said, they're stricter in Colorado than they are in Georgia, and I think that that kind of made people scratch their heads. Uh, and again, that's without going into the specifics. That was something that kind of threw people for a loop there. And you made a very good point there, Tyler. You know, again, everybody wishes that 2020 hadn't occurred the way it did with 
pandemic in general and then all the uh, after effects that came with it with there being a shortened season, all the other sports that were affected. There was no Final Four last year. I mean, there was a lot of things that didn't happen the way that we are accustomed to seeing. Um, so why not, if you're going to move the game, why not move it to L.A.? It's going to be out there next year anyways. So, yeah, you know, that would have made, in my opinion, you're absolutely right, that would have made a lot more sense to, to go about it that way. Well, the other thing I would add, you know, Freddie Freeman came out and uh, had a statement about it before before it was the decision was made. He came out and said, you know, why not use it as a platform? You know, uh, <laughs> we, Atlanta lost a lot of a lot of big figures this year. Uh, yeah. Hank Aaron, obviously, Phil Necro, Bill Bartholomew. They, they lost a lot of big names around the Atlanta community, and and Hank Aaron obviously being number one. And to be honest with you, I, I know they're planning on having a Hank Aaron celebration at the All Star Game, and I'll watch it. But it will not be the same as what it would have been in Atlanta. It won't yeah. mean the same thing to what Colorado fans. It, it just won't. Uh, and I'm I'm not looking forward to it as much. Uh, I do know some of the plans that the Braves were having. You know, some of the on field plans, and I was really looking forward to it. I mean, truly, I was looking forward to it. And we don't get an all-star game, you know, all the time. It's been years since we've had an all-star game. I mean, since – well, let me see. Since about 2000. 2000? Yeah, 2000. Yeah, I was actually – I, I was, was going to say, I was at the Home old. Run Derby that year <laughs> in, in 2000. So, yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> I, I was I was one years old, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> I've never really seen an all-star game in Atlanta. I, I, I really think it's just unfortunate. And, look, you know, I'm glad Colorado got an all-star game. I'm glad we got it to one that doesn't really have any, you know, a lot of other years. But at the same time, you, you, you hurt the citizens of Atlanta financially significantly. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, I just think you, you as, a, as an organization, you have to communicate, yeah. at least communicate with the Atlanta Braves and tell them a plan you have, tell them why, explain your reasoning. You know, and I just don't think that was done. Yeah, Tyler, you you got some great points, and I could definitely feel the disappointment in 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 you explaining how they moved the venue and how it's affected you. And sorry that they did that. And you mentioned some greats that we did lose, unfortunately. I wanted to get your take on Hank Aaron and Phil Negro, what they meant to the Braves organization, and if you've had a chance to meet either one of them. I never got to meet Hank, uh, I, unfortunately. I always tried, never could really make that happen. Uh, but I'll tell you this. I've heard, you know, when you live here, you hear things about, you know, folks like that. You know, because there, there's very few names that are bigger in Georgia than Hank Aaron. They're, they're just – there's not very many at all, if any. Uh, I mentioned that I, I have great friends with Chief Nakahoma. Uh, and for you guys out there that don't know who that is, he was a mascot for the Braves in, you know, 1969 and 1985. Uh, he's, he's a little old man now that lives up in Helen, Georgia. And, uh, he, you know, when you're the mascot, you're not really viewed as a celebrity in a lot of ways. But the way Hank treated him stuck with him. And, and those are the stories I hear, you know, things like that. Um, in, in terms of Phil Necro, uh, I did meet Phil Necro. I met him a few times. Uh, the first time I actually met him when I was 15, I was at a celebrity golf tournament. And my, my best friend, uh, Gator fan, by the way, uh, was his <laughs> partner in, in that golf tournament. And uh, so I don't play golf. In fact, I'm terrible at it. But I got to ride around in a golf cart with Phil Necro all day. 
uh, and here's different stories and things. And, you know, that, that was just really cool. The way he, the way he treated folks, you know, forget, forget the on career, you know, the career things, the on field memories and things, the people they were, you know, that that's kind of what sticks with you. And, you know, I wrote Phil a letter. I guess I was about 17. I was graduating high school. He responded to me and, you know, that kind of thing. We kind of kept that relationship until I eventually interviewed him and, uh, he, he was kind enough to give me an interview, and it, it's one of my favorite ones. It's probably the biggest name, you know, in terms of an interview I got out there. Uh, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, you know. I, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's a Hall of Fame person, too. And I would say the same probably about Hank Aaron. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was going to say uh, the, the ironic thing is I actually have uh, about 10 years ago, it was in spring training of 2011, I spent a good 10, 15 minutes uh, on the backfields speaking to uh, Phil Necro. And the reason I was able to do that is actually his nephew goes to my church. And I actually have known um, a few people who played baseball here in Lakeland, Florida, where I live, uh, that knew him. So it kind of had a small connection there. Um, so I believe, Alan, you met, uh, you met him at one point along the way, too, going maybe to the Hall of Fame. Is that where you met him at? Yeah, in Cooperstown, you know, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a, like Tyler said, he's a Hall of Fame person and definitely a class guy and and a, and a great. It doesn't surprise me at all that one of Tyler's favorite interviews was with Phil Necro because he's such a great guy and has a wealth of knowledge about baseball, which is unbelievable. And and that that's amazing that you reached out to Phil and and he can keep in contact with you. Uh, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I'll tell you one of the things. This, this will tell you how good of a person he was. The, the day I first met him, same day of the golf tournament where I rode around with him all day, I had a bag of baseballs. And when I say a bag of baseballs, I don't mean three or four. I mean like nine or ten, okay? Oh. <laughs> and he, he – all I had was a Sharpie. I was kind of just getting into the whole autograph thing, you know? And yeah. <laughs> he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I'm not signing these with a Sharpie. He walked me to his car all the way down to the end of the parking lot, got a ballpoint pen, and signed every last one of those baseballs. Now, none of those wound up on eBay. I gave them to friends and different things. But he looked, you know, he didn't question it. He didn't, you know, he didn't give me any grief about it. He signed every last one of them for me. And it's just something that always stuck with me. You know, he didn't have to do that. He could have signed one or two and said, no, that's enough, kids. You know, but no, he sat there and signed all of them. Wow, that's a, yeah, he, a great story. Same same thing for me. I remember he signed uh, signed the ball, and then you know, off to the kind of right of the signature Hall of Fame uh, ninety seven, I think is what he wrote on there. And uh, for those of you scoring at home, here's the uh, the interesting thing: all three of us, myself, Alan, and Tyler, have at one point in our lives met Hall of Fame pitcher, the late uh, uh, the late great knuckleball pitcher. Uh, Phil Necro and all three of us are not very good at golf apparently either. So <laughs> if you're scoring at home, that's just an interesting tidbit here tonight. Alan and I played golf here about six weeks ago and uh, Alan buried me in the, in the sand, but we were, we were both pretty, pretty poor. So, um, but an interesting story there, definitely a good guy. I, like I said, I, over the years, I've interviewing people like you're talking about uh, Tyler um, on a different different level obviously with a camera or a microphone being there i've had the good opportunity of meeting a lot of people over the years uh whether it be Terry once actually had a game um most people i meet around braves games uh myself 
um, of all the conversations that I actually had with anybody, Phil Necro would definitely be right there at the top. Bobby Cox is pretty nice too, but but Phil would definitely be at the top because he actually, kind of like you talked about, he took the time. I bet we talked for a good 10, 15 minutes, and it wasn't around him being a Hall of Fame pitcher or you know this awe uh, of, of who he was as a player. It was personal conversation, and I just kind of felt really, really nice about that. And he's definitely a guy you're going to miss. Um, just see, he has such a huge presence around the team, and you know he pitched to the end of his career with the Yankees, so there's a tie there for for Allen's end as well, and the fact that he he also pitched for uh, for New York and was such a you know, Hall of Fame player, but obviously, as you mentioned, they're a Hall of Fame person too. For sure, for sure. You know, he, like I said, you know, I, I see, I used to see him about once a year at a golf tournament, uh, the Daryl Cheney Golf Tournament, and he remembered my name. You know, among everything else, I just thought that was yeah. so cool. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. What are your, some of your goals now that your your YouTube channel's doing well? What are your long term goals with baseball? And, and, you know, telling us about opinions and baseball. What are your hopes that your future goals are down the road? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people would say make money, and I guess you <laughs> got to do that. But, uh, you know, ultimately what I do right now is what I like to do. I, you know, I, I like to do camera work too to some degree. It's kind of, you know, I have an actual job. I work for a news station. And I do like production work, uh, but you know what I like to do is talk Braves baseball, and that's what I think I'm best at. That's what I think I'm, you know, really meant to do. And I, I, you know, honestly, I'd like to work for the Braves in some capacity. But if you'd asked me five or six years ago, I'd say I'd like to be Chip Carey. Uh, <laughs> but these days, you know, uh, I, I like having you know a baseball podcast and talking to Braves fans about what they think and you know, kind of not to say dumbing it down, but bringing it to an earth level, you know, of the baseball, you know, knowledge that, you know, me and you would understand that most people might not, you know, and I, I like bringing that, you know, full circle and, you know, basically talking to regular fans. I, I like that. And I think my ultimate goal would probably be to be able to show up to the ballpark every day and watch Braves baseball and talk about it. Wow. I thought, I thought uh, Aaron was a Braves fan. Seemed like you got him beat. You are, you are, I, Tyler, I uh, evidently you are the, uh, this almost 20 years younger version of myself. So, <laughs> um, that's good to hear. That's good well, to hear. It's good to, good to see that's still going on. So, <laughs> the, the, uh, you know, you mentioned Chip Carey a few minutes ago. That sort of kind of caught my attention. Chip Carey, I actually saw him last night. I didn't really get a chance to talk to him very much. He, he probably does not know who I am uh, in any stretch. But, you know, when I was 15 or 16, same time I met Phil, I sent him a letter as well. And out of 35 letters I sent out, probably uh, Phil and Chip are the two that actually responded. And, uh, you know, Chip's letter was mainly asking for advice on, on how I could actually go about doing something like this. Uh, and, you know, I had no clue at the time. I had no you know, guidance, you know, no, no, they don't teach you in high school how to, how to do what I'm doing. You know, they, they don't give you any kind of, you know, they, it's just not out there to really learn. And, uh, you know, I started working at a local radio station and I, I, anyway, I sent a letter to Chip and he responded and, you know, encouraged me and, and gave me some tips. And, you know, I tried my best to listen to him and, and do what he told me to do. And, 
You know, I, I think, you know, the more you can get around the game, the more you fall in love with it. And that's kind of what's happened to me because I've already been to, I think, like seven or eight Braves games this year, three Stripers games. Yeah, you know, I've been to, and I'm, I live two hours away. So it's got, you know, I get wow. out there. Definitely yeah. right there in Braves country. That's uh Certainly, uh, certainly nice there. Have you been? Um, have you been down to the new spring facility they opened down there in Northport yet? I went uh, this year actually. I, I try to go to spring training every year. Uh, and if you're a listener out there and you've considered going to spring training, I really encourage you to do so. It's the best fan experience out there when COVID's not going on. It, it is the it is just the best thing out there. You have the most access to players. Uh, they're a little friendlier because they're you know they're fresh out of the off season they're, they're ready to see some fans and i don't think there's a better experience for a baseball fan out there uh you know like i said covid kind of shut everything down this year but uh you know it's just a really great experience and the facility down there the brand new one whenever it's fully operational and going is going to be sweet i mean it is just a really nice facility it's like a mini truest park in a lot of ways it's just you know and disney was cool i thought disney was really cool but this new facility is something special. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I've taken in, uh, I think, three games uh, down there myself now, um, which, you know, obviously that whole area is going to be built up here over the next uh, couple of years as they move more people in, and obviously it becomes more of a of a uh, seasonal tourist attraction. I'm going to put you on the spot here tonight, Tyler. I know we're at the halfway point of the season. Um how do things look the rest of the way? If you had to kind of, kind of uh, map out or you know predict who's going to win what and what's going to happen in the next uh, the next half of the season into the playoffs, where do you see things going? Who are you picking to win the World Series at this point? Uh, bias well, included, I suppose. Where do you, where do you see things going? Well, I got to tell you, you know, I was asked the same question about the same time last year, and I picked <laughs> the Dodgers. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really hesitating on answering this question. <laughs> Uh, I, I might need to pick an American League team. Uh, you know, if things are going like they're going right now, uh, I mean, the Giants, right? <laughs> if we want to base it on what we've seen, I, I don't think that's sustainable necessarily. I think they're kind of going to fall off. But I, I, I don't think that's – I really don't think it's going to be the Giants. Let me make that clear. But I, I think it's so hard to tell at the halfway point because so many different things can happen. Uh, but if I had to just outright pick a team, uh, I, I mean, the Red Sox have been really impressive. Uh, I've, I'm surprised on the turnaround they've had. And if that continues, I think they could on the American League side. On the National League side, it's really hard not to pick the Braves just because of who I am. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, the Dodgers would be the easiest pick, but that's not where I really feel comfortable. I, I think the National League is kind of – up in the air. You got It's kind of up in the air. I mean, yeah. the Dodgers, like I said, the Padres are a good choice. You know, I, I think between those two, the National League West is definitely going to have the wild card. I mean, like it just is what it is. That's what that's who's going to have the wild card. I don't see another team, you know, from any other division taking that wild card spot. You know, if 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 you're in the Central, if you're in the East, you got to win your division. And Outside of that, I mean, right now the easiest pick would be the Dodgers in the National League. So, I, I mean, I would imagine a Red Sox-Dodgers World Series, uh, and I think the Dodgers would probably have more stability over a seven-game period. Yeah. Yeah. As much and, as it pains me to say. 
maybe a little bit easier question to have is who do you think gets the the MVP at the end of this year? Uh, Vlad, as of right now, uh, on the American League. National League, I mean, if you had asked me two months ago, I would have said Ronald Acuna uh, just because of the hot start he got on. But, I mean, it's just like I said, there's so many different guys. I Usually I don't like to say pitchers should be the most valuable player. I think there's a Cy Young Award for a reason. But yep. there's nobody better than Jacob DeGrom. There, there just isn't. Wow, wow. Uh, uh, Even when that dude is that good. You say that one more time? Even without the sticky stuff? I don't think DeGrom did sticky stuff. I know last <laughs> night was kind of a, you know, a, I might be wrong, but I don't think he did because, you know, there there wasn't a lot of change in spin rate with DeGrom specifically. Uh, you know, you see that with Strasburg. You see that with, you know, Scherzer, you see that with Garrett Cole, uh, but I, I don't think you see that a lot with the ground. I think he just throws 102 for the heck of it. Yeah, I mean, he does. I mean, he, you know, I don't know for sure. He, The other guys you mentioned, I pretty much could, could put money on that, <laughs> pretty much on the way they respond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I'll give Jacob the benefit of the doubt. But uh, I got to say, you mentioned him earlier, Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, this guy is an outstanding, outstanting baseball player. I think he, in the National League, has a very good shot to get the MVP, granted of him staying healthy. That's true. He's got to stay healthy. Uh, I, I don't, it'd be interesting if they both won it. And to be honest with you, MLB would probably be salivating at the idea of both of them winning it just for marketing purposes. Uh but I, I don't know that Tatis is, is there yet. Uh, I'm not even sure that he has 162 games under his belt yet. You, you know what I mean? I, he's very new to the game. Um, I mean, granted, he's he's been absolutely on fire. But I, as of right now, I, I think so. I think Shohei, Shohei Otani has a has a dark horse chance of being AL MVP under under Vlad Guerrero Jr. He might win the AL MVP and the AL Young Award in the same year. I mean, that's uh, what a what a talent. I mean, that, you're talking about something that hasn't happened the way it's happening right now in a hundred years. I'm mean, talking about Babe Ruth uh, for what he's accomplished here to this point. And we'll get too off on a tangent on Otani, uh, but when he first came to the to the to the states playing big league ball, my feeling was okay. The first couple of years, they're going to feel him out to be either a pitcher or a position player. He's not going to be both. And so far, he's proven everybody wrong that thought the same way I did because you can put him in there every fifth day and have him start, and you can have him play in the outfield the other days, and it doesn't seem to have any impact on him at all. So uh, it may just be one year he does this. Who knows? But what a, uh, what a two-way talent. And that, that's something that kind of goes back to what you talked about before. You go back to the 80s, and if you were a pitcher, not saying you were fat and out of shape and couldn't do anything else but you know you weren't necessarily the athlete that an outfielder was nowadays you know and i w- wish we'd see more of this where you'd have guys that can pitch and then maybe they could play the outfield later on and i know you want to limit their exposure to getting injured but having that broader talent seems like it would make more sense um to make the game more interesting because a lot of fans, I think, would be drawn to that. I think it would probably help out the 
the um, marketing of the sport, as you kind of mentioned that before with uh, with the younger players. Well, Michael Lorenzen is a good example of what you're talking about. You know, pitchers that can play the outfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's healthy, he's he's one of those guys. And I, and with Shohei, you know, I saw a funny tweet the other day. Uh, it, it, it was a stat line of Otani from one night. It was like he has five innings pitched, three strikeouts, and uh, and now he's playing center field. And it's like somebody retweeted and said, "Well, I did that in little league, so I don't see the big deal." Uh, <laughs> and, and it, I mean, he, I mean, he's doing things that are just out of this world. And I, I think a lot of people are, are giving him credit that he obviously deserves. Uh, but you know, he's a so I think he's an okay pitcher. I think he's a good pitcher. Let me rephrase that. I think he's a very good pitcher. I don't think he's an elite one. I think that's fair to say, but I do think he is an elite player all around. Uh, and to be honest with you, you know, if, I know I said Vladdy Jr., but the more I sit here and think about it, the more I think about Shohei Otani winning MVP just because he plays both sides of the ball, you know, yeah. and that's hard to do. Yeah, definitely. You're absolutely right about that. It's not an easy thing to do. Speaking of playing both sides, um, what are your thoughts about Chipper being with the Braves and his input with the younger guys? I think there were a lot of questions about that early on. You know, I, I, look, I, I grew up during Chipper's, you know, height. You know, he he was the guy, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, so anytime you tell me Chipper Jones is involved with something, I get a little bit excited. Uh, with that said, I think, and I know I mentioned him earlier, I, I'm an Austin Riley guy. But I think Chipper Jones has affected him specifically more than anybody on that team in a good way because Austin Riley has lit up. And, you know, Chipper was the guy a few years ago saying, you know, this guy is the future. And I think he has picked Riley specifically out and focused on him and got him to not swing over the slider on every other pitch. And I think that is the one that has really – you've really seen the difference. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's talking to – you know, Almani and Heredia, the guys that have been thrown into the major leagues unexpectedly throughout injuries and everything else. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, hearing from a Hall of Fame hitter like Chipper Jones was, you know, switch hitter nonetheless, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're hearing from him on a daily basis before the game, you know, getting their head right, you know, understanding something. Freddie Freeman credited him with a lot of his approach, you know, in his younger days. And, And I think Chipper is a great guy to talk to about hitting specifically. Yeah, he is. He's absolutely right about that. You can't go wrong listening to Chipper Jones about hitting. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and as a former third baseman myself, you know, I my favorite player, my Mickey Mantle, if you will, was Chipper Jones. He was the guy that I looked up to. And, um, you know, I can remember back when I turned 10 getting a Chipper Jones rookie card, and I had no idea who the guy was at the time. I was a new Braves fan. It was right when the Braves were starting to get good. And, he made his debut in 95, and I watched and followed his entire career, met him on several occasions, um, actually happened to be present for the first game he ever hit a grand slam and against the Mets back in 97, mm-hmm. so followed his career. So I'll, 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 I'll roll all the chips to the middle of the table for Chipper as far as picking out a guy like uh, Austin Riley, who I think is starting to show us those things that we all kind of thought he might do uh, here at some point in his early uh, career. And uh, he's he's really grown a lot. If you, if you watched in the last, uh, like he made his debut in I want to say 2019. They played him in the outfield a little bit that year. He, he's really grown. He, he's he's gotten away from swinging at crap in the, you know, the, the three feet in front of the plate. You know, he, he's 
he's not swinging at sliders that he would have normally swung at in the past, and he's definitely grown there. And like I said, as a former third baseman myself, that's a position that I've always been intrigued by, and that's a position that typically for most teams, especially when you have a Hall of Fame player like Chipper Jones, you know, 15, 18 years, what have you, you're not going to see a whole lot of other guys here for a long time. So now that we're almost 10 years after Chipper's playing career, it's nice to finally see another name that we might see for that same amount of time putting up similar type of numbers and a similar type of player that, uh, that Chipper was. Maybe not to the same overall degree, but a, a guy who can be consistently there uh, here for, uh, for Atlanta. And, of course, it's always a fun thing to see. So switching gears, I know we've talked a lot about baseball here tonight uh, for the last hour or so. Uh, Tyler, I know you cover college football a lot, too. We kind of talked about this uh, off air um, in messages earlier. I know you cover a lot of SEC football. Football's right around the corner at the NFL and the college uh, stuff getting ready to kick off here within the next few months. Where do you see things at in, uh, in college football uh, this year? I got to tell you, you know, the, the way I my, – my covering college football is, is through the news station. I go film highlights and things. The, the team that I can always bank on to be successful is, is, is Alabama. Uh, they're one of my favorite teams to cover because I can guarantee that there's going to be scoring plays and I can get out early, if that makes any sense. Uh, I, I think it's – I think it's. you know, there's always talk about expanding the playoffs and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not really a big supporter of that. I, I'm more keeping it to where it's at. Uh, you know, a great guy to follow is a great friend of mine, Josh Pate. He's with uh, 24-7 Sports. Uh, he, he is, I mean, he's a mentor of mine and uh, just, just a uh, an absolute whiz when it comes to college football. Uh, and, and he knows his stuff. And I got to tell you, the way it's looking right now, I, I think you're going to see almost a repeat of last year. I think it's going to be, you know, Alabama's in a conversation, Clemson, Georgia, you know, the, the typical – you know, things. I, I think a team that intrigues me is Auburn. And the reason I say that, I'm in the crux of – I'm literally 45 minutes from Auburn, about an hour and a half south of Athens, I guess, and about two and a half hours from Tuscaloosa. So I'm right in like a triangle between those. And Auburn intrigues me because, you know, it's the first full year without Gus, and, and I think that will be interesting. Uh, but ultimately, I, you know, teams that always intrigue me are the SEC teams. And, of course, you know, I grew up, and it's going to be painful to say, but I grew up an FSU guy. And I, I think, uh, you know, Mike Norvell is the guy. pretty pretty quick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I was at the game where Francois went down against Alabama in, the, uh, in Mercedes-Benz. I was there. It happened right in front of me. And we've never really been the same since. Uh, you know, Jimbo. Uh, left and went to Texas A&M. He's, I think he's really going to stay in him. I think they're making all the right changes that need to be made for a team to be successful, for an organization to be successful. Uh, but ultimately, I think FSU's got to find a way to get out of what they're at, where they're at. You know, they got to recruit, and then they got to develop. And I think the development part has really been the issue, uh, more so than anything, because we've recruited all right. You know, we haven't been Georgia where we're recruiting top of the class, but we, we've been all right. And uh, I think uh, hopefully Mike Norvell can can better the development and, uh, you know, really benefit the, the program. I like that move, too, when Florida State made it. Now, in the interest of full disclosure on this program, uh, anyone who knows me personally knows I bleed orange and blue. I'm a diehard Gator fan, have been for 30-plus years. When Florida dismissed 
uh, Jim McElwain in 2017, I believe is when it was. Mike Norvell was one of the first names that came up. He was having great success with, with his offense, uh, the schemes that he was running in offense there at Memphis. He was one of the first names that came up at Florida. And I like what we picked. I like Dan Mullen. I think he's a great, uh, great coach. I think he's got a, a chance to really do some great things at Florida. Um, but I really think that after the debacle they had with, um, with uh, who, was they, <laughs> who was it they had in there, Willie uh, Taggart. Uh, Willie Taggart. Uh. Yeah, Will, Willie Taggart for a year and a half, basically. Um, it just wasn't a good fit. I don't think Willie Taggart's a bad coach. He just isn't a good coach for Florida State. I think that, uh, and I, I hate to say this about somebody that I'm a, a opponent of, but I think Florida State made a great coaching hire. He's got a big, big mess to clean up there. But Florida State football, like Miami football and like a few other programs out there, you kind of mentioned it there. The name sells itself. It's the cultivating of the talent and having the right combination, the right chemistry that's going to get the culture going back the way it needs to go. And I think that's really going to be the, the big thing. And I don't, I don't see Florida State being too far off. I'd say in the next two to three years, they're going to be right back, right where they want to be. Well, you certainly hope so. You know, the SEC is great, and, and, but for the betterment of college football, you know, just Clemson being in the ACC is not good. It's not good television. It's not good football. And it, it makes for a Clemson weak schedule, you know, and, and I think we've got to get to a point where, you know, the ACC is competitive again. It hadn't been for a long time. And, and I, I think we've got to get back. And I think Florida State being successful is going to kick that off. Uh, but – you know, Mike Norvell, uh, you talked about him for a second, you know, how, how he almost came to Florida. When he first came to FSU, you know, I, I, I listened to his speech, you know, because, I, you know, look, I watched all the games where Willie Taggart, you know, led us out there and lost, and we weren't doing well. And to be honest with you, I don't know that all the blame goes on Taggart. I think some of it would probably go on Jimbo, if we're being honest. But I, I think with that, you know, you bring in Taggart, he doesn't succeed, and then you bring in Mike Norvell. And if you've never seen it, go watch Mike Norvell's speech when he first came. Just go watch it. I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm not going to tell you what he said. Just go watch it. it it's worth a watch, and it it, cha- it made me like him immediately. Yeah. Yeah. No, he and, seems and, like a genuinely good good guy. And, again, it's hard for me to say that as a Florida fan. And Florida State's our biggest, uh, you know, in-state rival. But I again, and I, I have a lot of people that I work with that are diehard Florida State fans. The way I'm a diehard Florida fan, and I said, "Look, guys, we're going to have our rivalry back here before too long." Which I was happy about that because it's it's not always that much fun when you're beating them that bad, where it's not an actual game. I mean, I like to yeah, I like to beat them bad when they're a good team, not when they're a bad team necessarily. So <laughs> I understand that. I completely understand that. We we had a run, we had a run like that not too long ago against you guys where you guys yep. were kind of in a rut. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I I, I yep. completely understand. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, I, ho- hopefully Florida State turns it around, man. Yeah, and I did want to ask you. I speak being that you do color cover a lot of college football. I wanted to get your input and your thoughts on on the Reggie Bush situation. I know that for those who don't know. Reggie Bush uh, is now trying to see if he can get his Heisman back because of the fact that he got a strip because of taking, you know, funds from outside sources. My, I have a twofold question for you is number one, what are your thoughts on the Reggie Bush situation? Should he get his 
Heisman back? And also, what are your thoughts on now NCAA players get a chance to collect for their their talent? Uh, well, I, I think, honestly, you know, I, I go back and forth on this whole, you know, should, should college players be paid? Uh, and I don't I, – I think what they're doing now is probably the right thing. Uh, I don't think you should – I never think you should be allowed to get paid by the actual institution. Uh, and I think that would be just beside the point. That's why you have a scholarship and that's why you get that, you know, when you go there. But, you know, to use your likeness I, I think is only fair. You know, I, I truly do think that. I, I think, you know, look, if I couldn't use my likeness, I don't know what I'd be doing right now, you know, to get paid for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think honestly – in terms of Reggie Bush, you broke the rules, you know. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how I feel about it. They they may do it. Uh, it would be interesting if they did it, just because they've now made that ruling. I, I think at this point you might as well. I've always had the, the opinion that once you give somebody a trophy, you can't really give it back. It, you know, <laughs> O.J. Simpson <laughs> still, still has all his records, you, you know. I, I just once you give it out, the Astros is another example. You know, you've already they've already won it. it it's too late uh, in a lot of ways because even if you take the trophy, they they still they still want it. We all watched it. We all saw it happen, and we all saw Reggie Bush do what he did to win the Heisman Trophy. You know, I I think honestly, you know, in my eyes, he's a Heisman Trophy winner, and so is Baker Mayfield. So is every other you know quote unquote problem you know, that, that college football's had. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I totally agree with you that, yes, you might take it away or take out the records, but in people's eyes, in their opinion, they saw what the person did, whether they were cheating or not, and you can't erase that memory. You can't erase what has been seen already. So I totally agree with you. You know, did Reggie Bush, I feel, broke the rules? Yes. But if you're going to let people get paid now, you might as well just let him get his, his Heisman back. Because in my my opinion, regardless of him getting paid or not, he won that Heisman Trophy award. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing about it is this, you know, like Johnny Manziel is a, is a good example of just, you know, someone that you know, college football kind of has tried to forget about <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. but, he, but he won that He won that Heisman. He, he did. He won it fair and square. He didn't cheat. He didn't, you know, take any kind of foreign substance. You know, it's been in the conversation a lot lately in, in baseball. He, he didn't do anything to cheat himself. He won it. And, you know, I, I think you have to let him keep that award. And that goes for any sport. That goes for anything. As much as I don't like what the Astros did, it is what it is at this point. And, and I think you got to accept that and, and move forward. But ultimately, you know, I, I – and to be honest with you, in the Reggie Bush situation, I don't know Reggie Bush. I don't really know a lot about his backstory. It's a little bit before my time, but I will say this. You never know what someone is going through financially. You never know what someone is dealing with outside of the sport. And I think it's very easy for someone to sit outside, you know, from our perspective and criticize, you know, them taking money. But you never know what the situation called for. You just mm. never really do. Yeah, that's very, a great point. Very good point. Well, Tyler, uh, breaking they, news: The Braves just finished. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So they did win one to nothing, right? Yes, sir. Perfect. Well, that's a nail biter of a game right there. I'm used to those uh, for sure. And our bullpen didn't uh, 
didn't implode here tonight, so we'll give Will Smith some credit for being able it to uh, close it <laughs> out. Made it in the game. Made it made it interesting there at the end. Looks like so. <laughs> We're glad to see that we were able to pull that one off. And, Tyler, we definitely thank you for joining us here tonight, uh, for spending this uh, past uh, hour and 15 minutes or so here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. Uh, for those of you, again, who maybe joined us late or who are wondering who this third voice is on our program tonight, uh, once again, On Deck with Tyler Redman. You can find him on YouTube. Um, a lot of great stuff. Uh, it's uh, baseball-centered, uh, of course, uh, really around the Braves. But he does have a lot of really great input on uh, what goes on in Major League Baseball. We thank you so much for your time and uh, for joining us. And hopefully we can do this again down the road and maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, who won the World Series this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hopefully it will be the Atlanta Braves and the New York Yankees. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Definitely, exactly. And make sure everybody's listening that you follow and subscribe to Tyler's uh, YouTube channel. He's got a big YouTube following and he can – Take on some more. Tell them what's your YouTube name, just so to make sure that they know. Yeah, Braves on Deck with Tyler Redman. If you search it, you'll find me. Really, if you search Braves long enough, you'll find me somewhere talking about something concerning the Atlanta Braves. But, yeah, Braves on Deck with Tyler Redman, and I'll come right up. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. We appreciate you being on our show. Definitely well, well Uh, appreciated. Oh, I appreciate you guys inviting me on, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. You definitely continue success in baseball and definitely continue what you're doing. You're doing a great job, and I will make sure that we both follow you on on YouTube. All right, man. All right. Thank you so much, Tyler. You have a great night. You too, man. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. All right, so everybody, that was, uh, again, Tyler Redman. We really appreciate you having him on the program here tonight. Uh, I know, Alan, uh, we have a few other uh, things we want to go over here this evening uh, on the show. Always great to have a guest. Always great to have a guest that has a lot to say, too. So, again, uh, we're really appreciative to hear uh, this evening. Alan, go right into the uh, the additional things we wanted to cover here on the show tonight. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's that's a real blessing, like you said, to, to Aaron's point, to have a guest on the show. And and today is is something that's real special because we actually had two interviews today. We're doing two a days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, are, we, are, we are moving on. Yeah. <laughs> we are moving up. Yep. We are moving up. <laughs> and – you know, we had Tyler Redmond who just was on the line, but earlier today I had, you know, to catch up with Sinessa Superbad Estrada. Early, earlier today we did a, a Zoom interview, and as I posted on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, I'm going to go ahead and give you a recap of what she said. You know, basically these are her answers. We did have just a little sidebar. We did have a little bit of a technical glitch that happened being that we do our show on the spot, so I wasn't able to get the video of it. But I'll go over what her answers were, and I'll break down the whole interview for you with Sinesta Superbad Estrada. Uh, first thing, I did wish her a happy belated birthday. She just celebrated her birthday just a, a few days ago, so let me give her a round of applause for that. Yeah. 
And uh, over the, she's been in boxing. That's where we started the interview over the last 20 years. I did ask her, how would you describe it? And, you know, she basically went into details that it was something that she had a vision to do. Sanessa had a vision to be a world champion. She is a world champion boxer. It's not every day that you get a chance to talk to someone who's a, a female world title holder currently. And I would have to say Sanessa is probably the most confident woman that I have met. And she was reassured in her faith that she was going to be a world champion. And she said that it's been great. And I did ask her too, is it hard for her to find sparring partners at this point in her career? I know that it was a difficulty for Sanessa early in her career. And she said, it's not as hard now, but she did say it has been harder in the past. She did say that people did agree to fight it for free. You believe that, Aaron? Somebody agrees to wow. fight a world champion for free. And I laughed at that because I said to myself, there's no way that I'm fighting you, a world champion, world-class fighter, for free. <laughs> so she did say that. She did say also that now she's able to at least pay people to fight her in sparring. And she did say that. And uh, one of the things that she also did mention is I did ask her then, what are some of the challenges that she faces in the boxing world being a female boxer? And she brought up an interesting point. She did say that with her victory, I don't know for, for the fans who are listening who don't know this, Sinessa Superbad Estrada has the women's world record for the fastest knockout of seven seconds, which is wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and she she described how she was treated unfairly because the person she fought at the time, Miranda, was five and zero. Miranda Atkins, and she was five and zero at the time. And Sanessa, she basically came in there ready to fight. She came in prepared, and she beat her, blew away in seven seconds. But she felt where a woman is unfairly treated is that. In that win, even though she got a world record, she said that she was criticized because people were saying that she fought somebody who was way below her talent level. And she said if she was a guy, that wouldn't have been the case. And I would have to agree with her on that point. There was two points she made about that. I would have to agree with her on that. And the reason why I would say that is because there is a situation where guys do fight lower competitors to knock them out or beat them and blow them away. And they usually don't get kind of critique for that, not to the level that Sinessa did. So I agree with her on that. The other point she said as a female boxer, she felt that until you get to like 12 and 0, that's when you get noticed by most people in, in boxing and get offers thrown your way and kind of get your ground off, your career off the ground. Sanessa did say that that she felt was unfair as a female. That part I somewhat agreed on because we Keith Thurman, basically, who was a world-class fighter, did say very much the same thing. He did say as a male fighter that until you get 15-0 and 0 and go up from that point, you really don't get noticed up until that point prior to. So I don't, I don't think it's totally a female thing on that particular issue. I think that's just a boxing thing as a general rule that unfortunately you don't really get the notoriety you, you deserve 
until you start making a name for yourself, getting 12 or 15 and 0 and beyond. So that was uh, Sinessa's point. And also another great thing that she did talk about here too, that I did want to mention. Yes. Is that um, another great thing that she, she did mention is that I asked her, does she prefer to have a two or three minute rounds? And she basically mentioned that she prefers to have a three minute round because in the three minutes, she felt the two minutes was too short. The three minutes gives her more chance and more of an opportunity to do something in the fight and be victorious. She even went a step further and said that in her next opponent against Susami, she basically said that she had offered, check this out, guys, she had offered Tsunami and her camp additional money, in fact, on her purse side, out of her own money to take her fight, which is coming up on July 9th, she wanted to make it a three-round fight per round, and she offered additional money to a competitor to go from two rounds to three rounds. She got a firm no from her competitor, Tsunami, to go from two to three minutes. So basically, even with offering her additional money, they didn't get a reason why, but she, they, it's only going to be a two-minute round. She prefers a three-minute round. She even said that she, could, she trains for five-minute rounds. <laughs> so Wow. Yeah. yeah, so she did mention that. And um, she did say that also her fight, which is coming up on July 9th in Bank of California Stadium, is that um, she does feel a little bit more pressure because the fight is in her hometown. And I did mention to her, um, you know, they did invite Alan and Aaron, Sports Talk Radio Show, to cover that fight in L.A., which we are, I'm flattered and, and Aaron's flattered to I had unfortunately, because of schedule conflicts, I couldn't make it out to LA for July 9th. Regrettably, I tried to see what ways I could get around that, but my schedule was could not basically bend. So I wish her the best on July 9th to her fight in Bank of California Stadium. She did mention, though, for those people who are going to be watching a fight live, I did ask her, because I did notice she's friends with Danny Trejo. For those who don't know, if you watch Con Air, Danny Trejo is one of the main characters in that movie, but she did confirm with me that Danny Trejo will be there in LA. So you got to get your tickets for July 9th and go in, in my place and make sure you support her. I am looking forward to being at her next fight. I guarantee you that if I get prior notice and I'm going to work my way around my schedule to be there, but I'm already going to miss two people, Sanessa and Danny Trejo on July 9th. <laughs> You'll get a chance. <laughs> she did confirm. So I didn't mention that on Facebook or Instagram. I did mention that there will be somebody there. Danny Trejo, uh, actor, will be there. And, she, you know, those are the things that she mentioned during our conversation. It was a great, great interview. We're really appreciative of having Sanessa Superbad Estrada. I appreciate her being on the show. I appreciate her taking her time and giving us the invitation to not only interview her today, but also interview her on her upcoming fight on July 9th. I promise you this, I'm a man of my word, that we will look forward to coming to her next fight. I'm really hoping that she does get her world championship and she does win this fight on July 9th. You can watch it on DAZN, and you can get your tickets on Ticketmaster. So Danny Trejo will be there. She didn't want to mention anybody else that's going to be there, 
she said, get your tickets at Ticketmaster. <laughs> so I was gonna have there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we are very, very appreciative. And you could follow Sanessa at Sanessa Superbad on Instagram. Definitely do that. A fight is July 9th. Go ahead and support her. Watch it or show up in person. You might meet some other stars in L.A., and make me feel bad for not being even worse. But yeah, <laughs> it was you great. Can tag pictures on our Facebook page; it'd be perfectly fine. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But yes, and and that is my recap of the interview I had today with the beautiful Sanessa Superbad Estrada. July ninth is our fight. So that's that's uh that's a recap of our interview. And many, many more. She looks forward to doing interviews with us again. I'm looking forward to it as well. But I tell you one thing for sure, Aaron, I'm not fighting Sinesta Superman Estrada for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just want to throw this out there too, uh, here at the end of our show tonight. Um it just went final within the last couple of moments, but the Lightning are now up three games to none over the Canadians in the Stanley Cup finals, so one more win for Tampa Bay, and they will be the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. So, uh, glad to see you. Yeah. That's Definitely a good way to close out the show tonight with uh, with that news. So, <laughs> Yeah, 3-0, Tampa Bay Lightning looking to – and we're from the Tampa Bay area – looking to keep the cup right where it's at. I mean, it is a great time to be in Tampa Bay – I did even see that Tampa Bay was one of the top cities. I don't know the exact number, but it was up in my news feed that Tampa Bay has moved up to one of the top 20 cities to live at. So you know what? I hope Tampa Bay closes the deal, gets the Stanley Cup, keeps it here. It'll be back-to-back. And you never know. That's going to put the, the Bucks in a situation where they're going to have to, to go back-to-back too. What do you yeah. think on that? You know what? They got the talent, and they got the right people to do it. So, I mean, you know, they're going to be more prepared this year. I wouldn't be shocked to see them at least make a run at it. Um, But I will say this, as long as he is still playing, I would never bet a penny against Tom Brady. Uh, He is always, I mean, (laughs) you know, something funny that I saw here um, in Boston uh, Alan, this past week, I went into a few little shops just looking for souvenirs, and they had this one hat that I thought was not something that I would purchase myself, but just uh, I, it really spoke to me. It was a, a fitted hat, kind of like a New Era-style baseball hat, and it had two minutes and 13 seconds on the clock, third quarter. It had like kind of a, a, a snapshot of the scoreboard, 28-3 to Atlanta Falcons over the, over the uh, New England Patriots, and I thought to myself, they made a hat out of this, and the great thing is, is the, of course, how that game ended with uh, with New England coming all the way back and winning. So, I, I would never bet against Tom Brady as long as there's time left on the clock and a way to win. They've got a chance to do it, whether he's with Tampa or whoever he's with. You know, they, they've got a shot. So, um, so definitely, I, 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 to me, the Bucks are the team to beat this year coming up. I don't see any reason why they're not. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and they are the the team to beat. They have the experience. They played well, and the team is coming back pretty much. A.B. and the whole gang is coming back, and and they got the experience now. I definitely see them 
doing really well and, and even in winning Super Bowl. I know you can't really go that far ahead, but I definitely say that the heavy favorites, heavy favorites coming into this season, and I, I really hope good they luck, do. Uh, good luck getting tickets too. They are sold out already for the whole season, so you're going to have to go to the uh, the resale sites to get uh, any tickets for any home games this year coming up. Yeah, that's that's one of the unfortunate things when you start getting big. They even there is going to be no basically fans in the. I was trying to see if I could get some on the field interviews during the time they open up training camp, and that's not going to happen. They're not letting fans in for training camp unless that changes right now. From what I heard, that that's going to be the case. So that's the kind of thing that happens when you win Super Bowls. You get a lot of fans, a lot of fanfare, and you kind of get that treatment. So <laughs> that's going to be the case with the Bucks. But I definitely do hope Tampa Bay Lightning closes the deal. You did call this, Aaron. You did say that they have a very good shot of repeating. And they they got they got the pedal to the metal right now. Yeah, they are they are certainly there. Um you know, it'd be nice to have them win it at home, but that does mean they'd have to lose the next two games in a row. Oh, I think no. they're gonna sweep it and, and be done on Monday night. I, I just to me at this point you've you've just won Really, the game two was a, a, a game where you really relied on your defense more than anything else. You got some some really um, kind of odd shots, and they scored on uh, on Montreal there. But um, tonight, evidently, and I didn't get to watch any of the game, of course, but they won six to three. So that tells you enough right there. And you know, I don't know if anybody else out there watched any of game two. I was very annoyed by the commentating in that game because they kept saying Tampa shouldn't be in this game. Montreal's 35, 36 shots on goal, and they've only scored one time. And it's almost like they were rooting for Montreal to win. You know, it was kind of almost wow. disrespectful to uh, to the fans of, of Tampa. A little, a little bit of bias, it seemed like. And, again, I, I don't follow hockey to the degree of knowing what their intent was. Um, it just seemed a little bit on the annoying side. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Tampa won, and they're now up three games to none. And, they're one win away from their third Stanley Cup finals, uh, th- uh, third Stanley Cup uh, trophy, rather. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely surprising that there would be that bias. And I, I just felt as if if they had a tough series with the Islanders, I, I kind of felt like that one was going to be tough. But they're, they're doing big things, and I'm really hoping they – from a person who's a Yankee fan whose team lost was in the same position – as the Tampa Bay Lightning up 3-0 and then lose the series, I say <laughs> <laughs> as painful as it is to me, my Yankees have, in my opinion, the biggest choke job in sports history. I do not want the Tampa Bay Lightning to let up on the gas, close the deal, even yep. if it's on the other court, and come back home yep. and celebrate, get your win, and close the deal. Get Don't it, let get, it, get it and come home. Exactly. That's 100% right. Home. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then come home Don't and celebrate. Let, so, Come home and celebrate. That's for sure. Well, this has been a great night here. Again, uh, we want to thank uh, Tyler Redmond for coming on and, and being our special guest here tonight. Uh, Alan, great to be back. Um, we'll be back here again uh, next week. And then, of course, uh, I will have the following two weeks uh, with uh, with vacation, of course. But 
we're right in the thick of, uh, of baseball season. Football season will be starting about the end of the month as far as, you know, training camps. And we'll have a lot of good reports to come out of that here, I'm sure. Um, so, again, we've got a lot of great things going on. Uh, glad to have everybody on uh, listening in here this evening. Uh, for Tyler Redmond, who is our guest, and for Alan, this is Aaron. We're signing off here tonight. Everyone have a great 4th of July weekend. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.